Okay, so we are doing now Sunday's portion of Parsha Sayetse. At this point, the end of the portion of Toldos, Jacob, Yaakov, got the blessing. Esav wanted to kill him. Rebecca, Rivka knew this through her prophetic spirit, and she realized he had to get away. And she tells Jacob he has to go and tells her husband, I don't want him marrying another one of these women, like our son Asa married. He has to go to Haran, to my brother, to marry within the family. And Isaac agreed and just did the wisdom in that. He blesses Jacob, sends him off, and he goes off. And the last Rashi, they were saying how actually he took a 14-year detour to learn. And then he began his Haran sojourn, which lasted 20 years. Just to understand, the numbers are talking about, as, the, as Rashi explained, the end of yesterday's portion. At this point, when Jacob received the blessings, both the blessings he stole, which his father agreed to, and then the blessings his father gave him directly, the blessings of Abraham, the land of Israel, and the Jewish nation, he was 63. He then went and studied 14 years in the study hall of Aver. At that point, he's 77. And he then goes to Lovin's house, where he's there for 20 years, seven years working for Rachel, and then another seven years working again for Rachel, because he got laid the first time around, and then six years for the sheep, for the wealth. He was there for a total of 20 years, and he leaves, and it takes him about a year and a half to get back home to his father, Isaac. So he's now beginning a very long sojourn. So the first verse says, And Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to Haran. And Rashi explains that, in other words, the, the last verses of the previous parsha, the previous portion, were explaining how Ace of Thieves, and, oh, he doesn't really like these wives I have. Oh, wow, okay, yeah, I guess he doesn't really like having idolatrous women in his house. So Ace of went, and he said, how hey, also marry into the family. And he took a wife, also in the family, Ishmael's daughter. So the previous verses were talking about the, so to speak, side subject, if you will. Asa going to Ishmael to take a wife. So now we come back, so to speak, to the main storyline, to the original topic, Jacob's departure. That's the first Rashi. The second one says, It's looking at these words, and Jacob departed from Beersheba and he went to Haran. He says, why do we need to know this? It should have just said, and Jacob went to Haran. Why does it say, and he departed? Like, obviously, if he went to Haran, he departed Beersheba. But it tells us that when the saint, when the righteous person leaves a place, it makes an impression. When a righteous person is in the city, he's its magnificence, its splendor, its grandeur. Once he departs, all those things go away. And that's why it says, and he departed. It made a difference. Of course, this is very interesting because, of course, at this point, Isaac and Rebekah are still there. So it's not like when Jacob left, there was no more godliness in this place. You have the godliness of Isaac, you have the godliness of Rebekah, and still Jacob's leaving was noteworthy, made a difference. And he went to Haran, he departed to go to Haran. In other words, Rashi is clarifying that doesn't mean he arrived in Haran because that wouldn't make sense because the following verses are talking about things that happened on his way to Haran before he arrived. So Rashi is explaining that he is on his way. That's what this means. Next verse. 
And he encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place and he put them around his head and lay down in that place. Now there's enormous spiritual significance to everything. This, this section we're doing today has such, there's so much levels and levels of commentary and Hasidic dimensions, but obviously we don't have time for that, but there's a lot more than we're saying. So he met the place. Well, which place, Rashi says? What do you mean he met the place? So if it says the place, it means a place that we would know, it's been mentioned previously as the place, which is Mount Moria. Mount Moria, of course, is the place that will ultimately be the place of the temple. That's the place. How to have, where do we hear about that before? Because in the binding of Isaac, Isaac was offered up as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And it says there, when Abraham was trying to figure out where is he supposed to go, he knows he's supposed to go somewhere, and he doesn't know where, and he's walking for three days with his son Isaac, not knowing where he's going, but knowing God's going to show him where. It says he saw the place from afar. It says there, how did he know? He didn't know where he was going. How did he know that mountain was the mountain for the binding? Because he saw clouds hovering over the mountain. He knew it was a godly sign. Some say he asked the two people that were with him, Eliezer and Ishmael, and they didn't see the clouds. Only he and Isaac did, so he knew that was a sign. Some say because it's Israel in the summer, there are no rain clouds, there are no clouds. You see suddenly clouds over a mountain. That in itself, that physical thing was a sign. But it said there he saw the place from afar, and the place meant Mount Maria. So also here, we understand the place means Mount Maria. Now, it says he encountered the place. Very unusual word. The first Rashi says, Rashi gives a number of explanations here. First Rashi says it means, yeah, he, he, he came to it, as Rashi gives other proof texts that we see the same word, meaning like you come to a place. But it's not the normal word to use to come to a place. So why would the text use such an unusual word? So our rabbis explain that this word is actually the term for prayer, as Rashi gives other verses, which we use this root word to mean prayer. And there, actually, at this point, when Jacob came to Mount Maria, he instituted a prayer that they didn't have until then, which is the evening prayer. We say Abraham instituted the morning prayer. Isaac, we learned that Rashi together, instituted the afternoon prayer. And Jacob here is instituting the evening pair. Okay, so then, you're, then you would say, fine. So why didn't it say he prayed? First you say, why does he use this funny word to mean he came to the place? Oh, because we also want to say he prayed. So then why didn't you just say he prayed? So then Roger gives another level of meaning besides literally he came to the place. Besides he prayed. Also, this word implies the earth contracted for him. Now, what happened here as Rashi will tell us eventually is here again he was 14 years learning and now he's on his way to Haran and he's almost by Haran and he's like wait I passed the very holy place I passed the place that my forefathers prayed there and I didn't pray oh that's wrong of me so he turned around to go back so he's almost at Haran Haran's all the way in the north past Israel north they went all the way back, if you know like where Jerusalem is, you see how far the trip is, and the land jumped to him. It was a very unusual version of the shortening of the land, where the land itself shifted, that he very quickly suddenly finds himself at Mount Maria, still with time to institute this evening prayer. Um, now, how did he institute the evening prayer? Because 
as the next Rashi says, it's also it's, it's written very unusually. The verse should have written, the son said, and he spent the night there. It's not what it says. It says he spent the night there because the sun set, meaning the sun set suddenly, not in its normal time, in order for him to spend the night there. If it had still been daylight, he would have come there, he would have prayed, and he would have turned around because his point wasn't to sleep somewhere, as we will later probably not get to. This was the only night in 34 years that Jacob actually slept. <laughs> That's 14 years he was learning Torah and he didn't sleep at night. The next 20 years, he's watching Love and Sheep day and night and doesn't sleep at night because he's watching the sheep. He has one night of sleep this night. The son slept and he went to sleep, which again, there's many Hasidic dimensions on why here in the holiest place of all these 34 years, he's sleeping and attaining a level of godliness beyond what he could have attained with his own waking hours. It says he took the stones from the place and he put them around his head. So he made them like a, like almost like a pipe around his head because he was afraid of the wild animals, Rashi says. As if, as if, of course, this doesn't seem to make much sense either. You're putting stones around your head and that's going to protect it. I mean, the animals can't jump over the stones. I mean, obviously, again, there are many, many commentaries explaining all of this. The stones began to argue with each other and each one said, wait, the, the, the tzaddik, the saint, should lie on me. The, the saint should lie on me. So God made these stones, which not randomly were exactly 12, symbols of the 12 tribes, into one stone. And that's why later it says he took the stone that he placed around his head, not the stones, because the 12 became one. And he laid down in that place. And Rashi says what I just told you. That place is to minimize only here he lay down. But the 14 years that he was learning Torah, previous to this, he did not lay down. He was learning Torah day and night. And I'm adding, in the next 20 years, when he was working for love, he also didn't lay down. So he goes to sleep. And he had a dream. And he dreamt. And behold, a ladder was set earthward, and its top reached the heavens. And behold, angels of God are ascending and descending on it. Now, Rashi says, what? The angels are ascending and descending? Angels are in heaven. Should they be coming down first and then be going up? Rashi explains, no, 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 no. What we have here is Jacob is right now leaving the land of Israel. Jacob always had angels surrounding him and protecting him. So the angels of Israel were ascending up the ladder because they weren't going to leave the land of Israel. And different angels ascended down to accompany him outside the land of Israel. Little story. Because there was a, a certain very saintly boy, I think it was the originer. He was a child that every time he learned with his teacher, Chumash and Rashi, as a little child, he would always ask the question, exactly the question that Rashi was about to explain because he was like the child Rashi's writing for. So his teacher was having such joy and pleasure and pride and every verse, the boy rattled off, the, had all the questions that Rashi was about to answer. When they came to this verse of the angels, Ascending and descending, the boy didn't have a question. And she's like, don't you have a question? Because he knows Rashi has an answer. And the boy says, no, I have a question. She just thinks that's so strange. And we get the question. You get this one's actually a pretty obvious question. Why doesn't he get it? So he said to the child, how do we have any questions on these words? Doesn't it strike you that it's odd? And the child said, it's a dream. On a dream, you don't ask any question. The next verse. 
And behold, God was standing over him. And God said, I am God of Abraham your father and God of Isaac. The ground upon which you are lying, to you I will give it and to your descendants. So I said God was standing over him, and Rashi explains why is God standing over him to guard him. <clears throat> In other words, he's over Jacob, not over the latter. This is one that we have for each one of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a verse which implies God is over them, which is the foundation for the Kabbalistic concept that our forefathers were God's chariot. A Kabbalistic concept that every one of the forefathers was like a chariot for God, was like God's wagon, went exactly where God wanted, did exactly what God did without any independent will. So this is the verse for Jacob, that God is standing on him. He says, I am the God of Isaac. Now this is very unusual, because generally, God would not relate his name to someone when they're living. No matter how righteous they are, we still wait till they're passing when they're like, so speak, pass the test. They lived a whole life of complete righteousness. Now they're gone. They can't mess it up. Then God will say he's the God of, of so-and-so. Like he says, he's the God of Abraham. So how come here, I mean, Isaac is alive. Why is he saying he's the God of Isaac? But as we learned in the previous chapter, Isaac had become blind. So if he's blind, in a sense, blind is as if he's dead. He's, he had no evil inclination at this point. So he was on such a level that we were, there's no question on the eternal goodness and righteousness of Isaac that he could even connect his name to him during his lifetime. So God gives him this promise here. And God says, the land you're lying on I'm giving to you and your descendants. The person could say, uh, that's, you know, how, how much space does it take up for a man to lie? Like, what, what's this big promise God's giving? Rashi explains that God folded up the entire land of Israel under Jacob. So when he says, I'm giving you the land you're lying on, it's not, you know, the five feet you're lying on or six feet you're lying on. It's the entire land of Israel. That's what you're currently lying on. And God's point in doing it this way is to allude to him that it would be as easy for his children to conquer the land of Israel like the dimensions of a person's place. And your offspring will be as the dust of the earth, and you shall burst forth westward, eastward, northward, and southward, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring. You shall burst forth, Ufaratsta, Rashi explains, and you shall be so strong, like bursting forth in strength. Behold, I am with you, and I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil, so I will not forsake you until I have done what I have spoken for you. I am with you. Why did God say this? Rashi explains because Jacob was afraid. He had two enormous protagonists he had to deal with. Jacob, as we'll see later in the home, had a very hard life. I mean, everybody does, and the bigger the person is, the more. So obviously Abraham had ten enormous tests, and Isaac had many struggles. But Jacob, more than any, went through so much. And he had to deal with such evil people. So he was scared. The evil of Lavan that he was about to now encounter and live with for 20 years, and the evil of Asaph that was lurking in the background and waiting there for him. So God's saying, I'm with you. And God says, and I'll guard you and I'll return you to the soil for a second until I have done what I've spoken for you. Until I have done, the Rashi is saying here, this word, it's based in the Hebrew, im asisi, im, 
usually means if, but Rashi says many times that it has four translations. If it's only one of the four, here it means that. Until that I have done what I have spoken for you. What do you mean I've spoken for you? Rashi explains I've spoken for you, need I've spoken about you, not what I spoke to you, because we don't, we don't see him talking to Jacob before. This is the first time he's, so to speak, directly talking to Jacob, so I can't believe I've spoken to you. But what I promised to Abraham regarding his offspring, that promise is for you. It's not for Esau. I didn't say to Abraham, Isaac will be your offspring, meaning all of Isaac will be the Jewish people. I said, in Isaac will be offspring. In meaning part of Isaac. You're that part. And Archie says, whenever we have this concept of the you, I've spoken for you, as we have in the Hebrew, li lecha lo lehem, for you, all of these words always mean regarding you. Not to you, but regarding you. And this verse is actually the proof. Because God can't possibly mean, until I fulfilled that's what I told you, because God never told me anything before. This is the first time God told me this. So obviously this proves that using this term for you doesn't mean to you, but means regarding you, about you. And we'll stop at the point.